very much for who you are and for the price that you paid, Jesus. Thank you for obeying your Father and coming to die for us. We pray blessings over each and every person here. Those that are walking through stuff, Lord, help them. Father, be with them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is Palm Sunday, and on Palm Sunday, the day we, we, we say, we call it palms, we're going to have uh, palms that everybody can have, a palm afterwards, and I'll explain that. We'll pray for the palms here in a minute. But John 12, uh, 12 and 13 says this out of the scripture. The next day, this is the day after Mary taught us how to worship. She broke the alabaster box on, on Jesus' feet, and, and he said prophetically, she is preparing me for the death that I have to encounter. On that next day, a large crowd had come to the feast and heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. The feast of the Passover they're talking about there. So they took branches of palm trees and they started to wave them, okay, and meet him. And they cried, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And so they're, they're blessing Jesus, one, because they think he's going to set up a kingdom here on earth. They, they think that his rule is going to overthrow the, the torrid Roman government and the, the Sanhedrin court and all those people who were against him. And so they're crying out loud, Hosanna, Hosanna. In fact, can we say Hosanna right now? Hosanna. Say it again, Hosanna. One more time, Hosanna. In the Greek and Hebrew, that means yashana. It means salvation now, victory now, prosperity or blessing now. Three things that it, it incorporates, uh, incorporates out of Psalms 118 chapter. And so when they cry, Hosanna or yashana, they're saying, King Jesus, save us right now. King Jesus, would you give us the victory right now? King Jesus, would you bless us right now with the prosperity to make it through? And although we, we don't talk about that all the time in church, when we cry Hosanna, it's not just a, a victory song or a victory march. It's something that we literally want to interpret in ourselves. And so we have a, a gentleman in the first service who donated all the psalms. He has a place downtown called This Will Do Nicely, and he gave us the palms, and it's a, a beautiful remembrance. So afterwards, we have a poem, I think, for at least for every household, if not every person. We want you to take it home, and we'd love for you to put it uh, by a picture of your family or maybe in a, a family Bible or look at it the next year. We're going to pray for him. Janie and I will pray for the, the palms after, after this point, after this thought. And every time you see that, palm, I want you to remember that Jesus in the, uh, on this Palm Sunday, when they cried Hosanna, they were literally saying, save us now, Lord. Our victory is in you, Lord. Our blessings are because of you, Lord. And they waved them. And although at the end of the week, they were crying something different than Hosanna, it's important for us as Christ followers to remember that we have the opportunity the right, the authority, and the power to ask the Lord into our life, not only for salvation, but for a continual blessing of his presence and his anointing, for a continual march of victory, of joy, and of happiness. And maybe you're here today and you, you don't have the victory, or maybe you're here today and you don't have happiness or joy. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Christ as a Christ follower. Maybe you're here today and there, there's a financial strain in your life. You too can just cry out, Hosanna. And after service, Janie and I will be in the back and we want to give you a palm branch just as a symbol 
of what this day re represents and what the meaning of this opportunity is that we can cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, he that calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Come up here, honey, and let's pray for the, the palms together. Re just reach your hand this way. We're going we're gonna to pray blessings upon them and your household. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you've given many wonderful blessings in the scripture. And we cry, Hosanna. Lord, we pray these palms would represent, Lord, in people's houses, victory over their homes and families, salvation over their loved ones. We pray, Father, Lord, for blessings and prosperity. We pray, Lord, that you'd make them through and down economic times. We pray, Father, as the palm represents presents, Lord, who you are in Hosanna. We cry to Hosanna or Yashana. We pray you bless the palms, Father, Lord, as people place them in their homes. Let it be a representation. Let it be a symbol of the victory they have in you, the life they have in you, the love they have in you. In Jesus' name, we pray. And the church said in agreement, amen. Stand with us this morning as we sing a song together.
Amen. Yeah. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. Praise God. And so uh, we started this sermon series out talking about the four faces of Jesus, the lion and the ox, the man and the eagle. And then last week we talked about the four offices, the prophet, the priest, and the king. And today we're going to talk about the five wounds of Jesus. And it's important to know because in the wounds there's some freedom, there's some deliverance, there's salvation. And so the, the things that, the price that Jesus bore on the cross and before the cross was for his uh, what was for his sacrifice, but for our benefit, and so where they cried Hosanna on the way in, by the end of the week they were crying crucify him. The very same group of people, because things didn't turn out the way they wanted it or the way they thought it should be. And so, just a real quick lesson before we go into the first one: we need to understand that if God is in charge, we need to let Him be in charge. Amen. 100% faith is also 100% trust. And so faith isn't good if it only works out the way we want it to. Faith works out the way God wants it to. And that's perfect, undefiled faith. And so the first wound that we look at today is the stripes on his back. Jesus would have been, uh, when he was, when he was um, taken before Pilate, he was dripped down of his, of his robes, and, and they, they flogged him, the Bible says. So let's read out of John 19 and 1 really quickly. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. There's a, a, there's a position that the Roman centurion guard had what was called a lictor, L-I-C-T-O-R. And the lictor was a basically a trained assassin, a torturer. And they would have taken Jesus in front of the lictor, and they took a cat of nine tails, and what it had glass in it, it was a whip with glass and razors, nails, sharp edges. And every time they whipped Jesus, they would scrape that whip across his back. And so his flesh would break open and blood would spill all over the place and, and drops of blood everywhere. And it's a symbol of the drop of blood, one drop of blood that will free us from our sin, one drop of, drop of blood that would heal us from our humanity into being a, a born-again believer, a Christ follower. Now, Isaiah 53 says, uh, 53 says this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. King James says, by his stripes, we are healed. I like the word wounds there. And the Bible says after that that it pleased the Lord that he would walk through this and even be disfigured to where no man could even recognize him or know him. But by his stripes, you are healed. In fact, the Bible says, and Peter confirming in, in his scripture that uh, by your stripes, you were already healed. So not only are you healed, you, you've been healed. Your, your healing has taken place at the cross of Calvary. Can you give the Lord a shout of praise because we're healed in Jesus' name. We can tell sickness to go in Jesus' name. See, we've been healed. We're, 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 take, we're totally taken by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he bore, those, he bore those stripes for us. Scientists will say that there's 39 major causes of diseases. I wonder if that's not why he took 39 stripes. One for every major disease that maybe you walk through or a family member walks through. 
We believe in healing at Grace Church. We believe in victory at Grace Church. We understand that even every person that Jesus healed and prayed for, they ended up dying and going to the other side for judgment. We understand that. We get it. But since Jesus died for our, our took the stripes for our healing, can we stand right now? And I want to pray for you today. Maybe you're, you're here. Yeah, let's everybody stand. We're going to sing another song. I want to pray if you're here and there's a healing that you need in your body. I just want to pray for you right now. No raising of hands. If you're watching online, I, I want you just to recognize that Jesus died and he took stripes for you. So like Peter says, by his stripes, you've already been healed. Father, we pray right now for those who might be sick in nature, sick in body, sick in emotion. Father, Lord, that you would heal them right now because by your stripes, they've already been healed. We accept that healing. We receive that healing. If it's, if it's a back or a neck, if it's, Lord, an ailment, if it's a disease, if the doctors even say it's incurable, we know, Lord, that by your stripes, we have been healed. And we receive that healing. We thank you in advance for it, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, amen. Yeah. 
Amen. Come on, church. Give the Lord a shout of praise. You can be seated this morning. Praise God. And so the second wound that Jesus would have encountered would have been the crown of thorns that were placed on his head. Let's read out of Matthew's gospel, chapter 27. The Bible says, And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. 
And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. I think of the price that Jesus paid, the humility that he had to have walked in, knowing that with just one spoken word, he could have called 10,000 angels right then and there. They would have taken care of the whole mess that this world was in. But he chose to go through these painful experiences, one, for us, so that we would understand what freedom really is, and two, to go back and redid, in a sense, what Adam did in the garden. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the Bible says that God speaking to Adam that now he would start to sweat before he uh, sinned. He was still working in the garden, but there was no sweat, no need for deodorant, no need for a shower. It was just a beautiful experience that he was having with God. But now all of a sudden, he's going to have the sweat of his brow. There's going to be thorns and thistles coming up out of the ground. And every time I see a weed in my yard, I say, oh, Adam, it's all your fault. <laughs> not, not you, Adam, but Adam, Adam. And I blame all my yardly problems on Adam because of the sin. Well, Jesus took those thorns that grew up out of the ground as a form of a curse, and they, they braided a, a uh, crown and put it on his head. And I'm going to tell you the reason he accepted that, because he wants to reverse the curse in your life. The curse showed us, and it still exists today, but those who accept in Christ as Lord and Savior and King, that curse can be broken in your life. You don't have to walk through that curse. See, the enemy attacks the mind, but God came through Jesus Christ to free your mind up. I, was, uh, I ran in the, the 5K uh, charity race yesterday, and, and, and uh, Andrew, where's Andrew? Drew. Drew took fifth overall in the half marathon on the, in the men's division. Unbeli unbelievable. 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 6.59 a mile. Some of you can't even drive that fast. I've been behind you, I know. A true, true statement there. And I ran the 5K, and, and, and certainly 5K is only 3.1 miles, and these guys are running 13.1 miles. And halfway up the 5K, I'm thinking, dear God, what did I sign up and pay for? And see, the, your, your flesh sometimes is not willing and it starts to lie to your mind, right? And, 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 and I was telling somebody uh, earlier that, that God just removed all the fast people from me, you know? Like they didn't show up. And, and so what happens is, is if someone's not showing up, as long as you do and start to put one foot in front of the other, you become a victor. You become, you become a finisher, right? Part of this thing is the enemy wants to lie to our mind, and God wants the value of our heart. And sometimes our heart has to tell our mind, would you just please shut up? Because our mind will try to convince our heart that it's okay. It's okay to quit. It's okay to stay home. It's okay to stop. That God's not real. And that's world stuff. And he'll attack the mind. But God says, just give me your heart. Give me your faith. Give me your life. Give me your love. And see what I can do through you. See what I can do in you. And so Jesus took this crown of thorns so that we can have freedom in our mind, in our mentality, where we can think. And we can think with our heart. 
Because a lot of times we'll think with our mind, this is not the way I thought life would go. This isn't what I signed up for. And we can think all these things, but we can, in our heart we can say, okay, God, if this is what you have for me, then I'm all in. I'm going for it. I'm going to walk this thing through by faith. Why? Because eternity is worth it. When Jesus took the crown of thorns, it's a visual example of him reversing the curse in our life. Would you stand with me? I want to pray uh, for you this morning that if there's any curses, any generational curses, any addictions, anything in your life that may be relational bondage, if there's anything in your life, I want to pray for it right now because Jesus came to reverse that curse and he shows us by putting crown of thorns on his head. Father, in the name of Jesus, we speak to curses right now. We speak, Father, Lord, that you have no stronghold, that the devil has no strongholds in anybody's life. Lord, that the, let them start to think with their heart and not their head. Let them believe internally, Father. And would you change, like Paul said, a renewing of our mind. Would you transform us, Father, in the way that we should go? Would you allow us, Lord, to know that, Lord, you care for us in every addiction, every curse, every generational curse. It's broken in Jesus' name. It's done. You've reversed it, now we accept it. We believe it, we receive it, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen.
can be seated. What an amazing song. In fact, Revelations, the fourth chapter says, when every time we say holy, 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 the 20 and 4 elders, they get on their face before the Lord. All honor and glory and power are given to those that he created so that they can worship a God in whom they trust. Holy, holy, holy. Could you just say holy? Just say it three times. Holy, holy, holy. And then Revelations 5.8 says that the vials of prayers that we've prayed before the saints, they go to the Lord and they're poured out so that their answer to our requests is on the way. Everything that you're praying for that is in the name of Jesus by the will of the Father is being answered. It's in the heavenlies. In fact, the angel told Daniel, I was dispatched the very first time that you prayed, but I was in a war in the heavenlies. I was in a fight of my life to bring your answer along the way. And he told Daniel, it's a good thing that you continue to pray and fast. Never, ever, 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 church, never, ever, ever, ever give up praying. Give up having faith in God. Give up having the joy to know that God will answer your prayer. The third wounds that Jesus encountered are the nails in the hands of his feet. You know, he was nailed to the cross, and it wasn't just a nail. It was a spike. It was a large metal iron spike that had been driven through either his wrist or the palm of his hands, through the, uh, the tops of his, his feet, and, and blood would have gushed out. It would have been a painful act of torture. In fact, historians tell us it was the worst way a criminal could have ever died. It would have been to be nailed to a cross that they had to carry up a hill, well, worn out, tired, uh, afflicted, uh, pain, made it to the top of the hill. Now they're nailed to the cross that they had to carry, and then they're placed up. And so the hands and feet, and, and I would say this before we read our scripture regarding this, is that hands and feet are also an act of war in Psalms. The psalmist David said that he would clap his hands, he would stomp and dance in his feet, he would, he would worship his father. He would worship God. In fact, he told his wife, Michael, that, hey, if you think this is undignified, you've not seen anything yet. I'm going to get ready to worship. That's in 2 Samuel 6 when he, he brought the ark back. And it's important that when we come into worship, we're doing, we know that we're doing acts of war. That the drummer, when he drums, and the guitarist, when they guitar, and the pianist, when they play, and the bass player, when he hits those cool licks, and the singers sing, that we're not just praising God, we're warring for God. We're worshiping the King. And Jesus took those nails so we didn't have to, so our hands and feet could be free. And so sometimes, you know what? Worship's not about us. Worship's about the King. Oh, Pastor, I don't really like that song. Tough. How's that for tender, loving care? My pastor really loves me. He tells me to shut up. It's all about Jesus. You, you come in and you worship. You might be freeing the person that sits three pews behind you, or in our case, chairs. You might be freeing up somebody. Why? Because when we're in an act of worship and we're clapping or raising our hands or maybe we're just keeping beat or maybe we're jumping up and down or maybe we're just loving on God, the Holy Spirit comes in and starts to free people up. 
starts to give people that freedom. Yeah, give the Lord a shout of praise. He's worthy to be praised. He's worthy to be praised. And Jesus does one of the greatest acts of worship there is. And Luke's, um, in Luke's gospel, chapter 23, he, 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 he's, he's saying here, as he's nailed on the cross, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he cast lots and divided his garments because it was a seamless robe as prophesied by the prophet Isaiah. See, Jesus, in his worship on the cross, looks down at the Roman centurion guard who nails him to the cross and makes fun of him and mocks him and whips him and puts a crown of thorns on him and says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Seven times. From the cross, does Jesus make a statement? And this is the first one. And I believe that he's practicing what he's preaching out of Matthew's gospel, the sixth chapter, and verses 14 and 15, where he says, after he teaches us how to pray the Lord's Prayer, that we should forgive one another so that his Father in heaven would forgive us. And I believe with everything in me as I read through the scriptures that Jesus is now practicing what he preached and that maybe he wouldn't even be raised from the grave if he didn't do that very thing. Father, would you forgive them? But I don't think he's necessarily only speaking to the Roman centurion. He also forgives the thief on his right, but I think he's also looking out into 2022 and he's saying, Father, would you forgive them at Grace Church? Would you forgive them around the world who do not know what they're doing, those that maybe have mocked Jesus or taken Jesus for granted or taken Jesus lightly or maybe haven't believed in Christ, the coming King? Would you forgive them as well? And in his case, it's an act of worship. He's got nails, spikes in his hands, spikes in his feet, and he has the urgency, the desire to make sure that Father, would you forgive them? The same thing Stephen the martyr did in the book of Acts. Along around the sixth chapter, when he's getting stoned to death, he says, Father, would you not hold this sin to their charge? And the heavens open, and he sees a royal choir in heaven. He sees the likeness of the Son of God. Would you walk in forgiveness? See, it's easy for us to take forgiveness. It's easier for us to receive forgiveness. Sometimes it's hard for us to give forgiveness. Yeah, but pastor, you don't know what they did to me. No, I don't, but Jesus does, and he's the one telling you to go ahead and forgive. But if you do forgive, and if you receive his forgiveness, your worship will change the world. Stand with me. This morning, I want to pray for hearts that are heavy today that maybe, maybe somebody's done something to you and you just can't forgive them. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit just to make that heart so soft that you realize the forgiveness that God's given you, that you certainly can give it to other people. Father, we thank you, first of all, Jesus, for the hands, for the feet. Thank you for the act of worship. And now I pray. Or there might be people in the sound of my voice watching online or here in house that maybe they have some unforgiveness in their heart. Or would you allow them to forgive? Would you show them their forgiveness that they've been forgiven of? And would you make it possible for them to forgive? It may be hard to forget, but Lord, it's easy to forgive. 
you showed us the way. To those that nailed you on the cross, you forgave them instantly. To the thief who would have perished in no man's land in, 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 in Hades, you forgave him because he asked for it. Father, we ask today, would you make it possible in our heart, not only to receive your forgiveness, but to forgive others. In Jesus' name.
seated. Praise God. All right, one more wound, and then we'll, we'll, we'll let you out. But it may be the most controversial wound of all. It may even be one that is conflicted within Scripture, and I'll try to explain it the best I can. But it's the broken heart of Jesus. It's the wound of, of the heart. And we'll, we'll read it out of Matthew's Gospel, the 20, 27th chapter. says this, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, which is saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus here is quoting out of Psalms, the 22nd chapter in the first verse. And there's a lot of confliction here. And we've heard back in the day where uh, God couldn't even look at the weight of the sin that Jesus bore on the cross, and he had to turn away from him. And I would, I would say this, that I'm not sure that's altogether right. I, I know the psalmist David said that no matter if he went to the highest place, God was there. If he went to the lowest place, God was there. Then if God's everywhere, and if, I'm, if he's omniscient and omnipresent, then how could he turn his back on his son when his son is the reason why he came. If Jesus came to bear the weight of our sin on the cross, then I'm, I'm of the oppression that God is up there saying, thank you, son, for redeeming your people, my people, back to my heart. And if we look at it the way that God can't look at sin, or if God can't look at that person, then it gives us a, an obstructed view of what church is even like. We have to know that when we come into agreement with God, that he takes our failures upon him. That he, he looks at us and, and we, we've mistaken what, what grace looks like. Matt, come here for a second. This is Matt, everybody. Good guy. <laughs> High five. Okay, so just for illustration purposes, I'm going to be God. You're going to be man. A man named Matt. Okay, and so just look at me this way, turn, turn like this, and we're looking at each other. And now I'm not saying I'm better than you because I'm God. I'm just for illustration because it's my illustration, I'm God. And you're a man, a man named Matt. And you come to God, and God loves you with open arms. And his grace is for you. And you come just the way that you are. And if you're hurting and God seems distant, as you run towards God, God runs towards you. Do you agree with that? I mean, that's what we've heard the church say forever. And that's absolutely true, right? And if we understand that that's how God operates, and Jesus said, Eli, Eli, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's simply quoting a scripture that the Bible hasn't finished. And I'm going to finish that scripture for you in just a moment. But say, for instance, that you did something wrong and you turned your back on God. So turn your back on me. In no way ever has God ever turned his back on you. God runs around this side and he faces you again. And you think, well, I'm not going to chase God. Turn, I'm going to turn my back on God again. And God, no, God comes over here because God said he would never leave you nor would he forsake you. You're his son. You're a child of the king, so you're going to turn around one more time. I'm going to turn my back on God. And for years we've said, okay, God turns his back on sin because if he did it to his son, he must do it to us as well. And no, that's not the case because one more time, if you turn your back on him, he comes right back around and he finds you right where you're at. 
That's the God that we serve. Give it up for Matt. Thank you. That's the God that we serve. God didn't turn his back on his son. That was the plan. So why does Jesus say this? Scripture records things contextually. It doesn't give us the whole picture. Some things we have to figure out for ourselves. Some things we have to search. He's quoting David's psalm, the 22nd chapter, I believe, within my spirit. He probably quotes the whole thing. The writer just gets the first part. Let's go to Psalms 22. Let's read 22 through 28. I will tell you, this is Jesus quoting again. David writing, I will tell you of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will pray you. This doesn't sound like a man who, who God left. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, of which Jesus was, for he has not despised or abhorred or abandoned the afflicted of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him. This does not sound like a God who would turn his back on his son or you if you're in the middle of something, but he has heard when he has cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before you for kingship belongs to the Lord. And he rules over nations. Would you stand to give a shout of praise to the King of kings and the Lord of all glory, the bright morning star and the lily of the valley, the mighty God, the counselor, the prince of peace. He died for you and your God will never leave you, nor will he forsake you, nor will he ever turn his back on you. Jesus carried the weight of the sin for us and we're free in Christ.
Good week, and Jesus, I pray, Amen.